Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the change of Jacob's nature as we pick up in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Living now a life after the Spirit. What a beautiful blessing. The greatest blessing he could ever receive. It was the blessing that was to last the rest of his life. God wants to bless you. He wants to change your nature from a self-governed, independent, self-sufficient individual into a person who is relying and trusting in God, whose life is governed by the Spirit of God. And so the change in Jacob, the blessing, was the change of nature that God gave to him. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. God is changing your nature, making you a prince, giving you power with God and power with men. And Jacob said to him, what is your name? And he said, why do you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. Peniel means the face of God. And my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he was limping or halted upon his thigh. He was crippled. The crippling was an experience that lasted. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men, and he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel, and the two handmaidens, and he, in other words, each of the mothers with their children that they had borne. And he put the handmaids and their children in the front, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph were behind. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Now, according to the Tel Alamarna tablets, It is proper when greeting a king to bow to the earth seven times in approaching him. So Jacob was approaching his brother Esau and greeting Esau as a king, which indeed Esau was. He had become the ruler and the king, so to speak, over the area of Mount Seir, the area known as Edom. And so he is giving honor to his brother's position, bowing before him seven times, a custom in those days. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So that prayer of Jacob's was answered. His brother's anger was assuaged. And the meeting, rather than being tense, rather than being bitter, 
rather than with great recriminations and anger. It's a, it's a sign of acceptance, a sign of forgiveness, a sign of love. As they embraced each other, they kissed each other, they wept together. The work of God's Spirit had been wrought. It is my opinion that Esau, when he was coming, was intending to fulfill his threat of killing Jacob. And even as Laban, when he was pursuing Jacob, intending to, by force, take back everything that Jacob had and to do Jacob harm, and even as God spoke to Laban and said, don't touch him, don't do him harm, don't speak to him good or evil, and God protected Jacob, I believe that God changed the heart of Esau so that by the time they met, all of the anger and the bitterness of the years gone by flowed out, and there was that beautiful reunion of the two brothers. And he lifted up his eyes. He saw the women and the children, and he said, Whose are these that are with you? And Jacob said, The children which God has graciously given thy servant. And the handmaidens came near in their children, and they bowed themselves to their uncle, actually. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after that came Joseph with Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, what is the meaning of all of these droves of animals that I met when I was coming toward you? And he said, these are to find grace in thy sight. And Esau said, hey, I have enough, brother. Keep that to yourself. And Jacob said, no, I pray you, if I have found grace in your sight, receive my present at my hand, for therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, he insisted, so that Esau took it. And he said, Esau said, let's take our journey. Let's go. We'll go before you. And Jacob said to him, my Lord knows how that the children are tender. They're young, actually, 13 and under. And the flocks and the herds with the young are with me. And if the men should overdrive them, even one day the flock will die. So let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will come on softly or slowly, according as the cattle that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord unto Seir. So Esau said, let me now leave with you some of my men that they might be with you. And he said, I don't need it. Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and there built a house and made booths for his cattle and therefore the name of the place is called Booths or Succoth. Now, the fact that he built Booths and all indicates his intention to just sort of stay there a while, which he no doubt did. Now, one of the things that the book of Genesis does not really keep us up with, and that is the time lapses between. Jacob did not go directly to Mount Seir to where Esau was. He stopped first at Succoth for a period of time, built booths there, stayed there for a while, and then he moved on to Shechem, the area of Shechem, where he no doubt stayed 
for maybe eight to 10 years. The Bible doesn't give us these time passages except that we note the ages and the events and we know that many years had to transpire. So probably eight or more years transpired between the time that he saw Esau and before he ever started journeying down towards Hebron. He stayed up in the area of Shechem for many, many years. So Jacob came to, in verse 18, to Shalem, a city of Shechem. The word Shalem is actually the Hebrew word shalom, and it probably would be better translated that Jacob came in peace to the city of Shechem. There is no record of any city called Shalom in that area, and the translation could easily read, and Jacob came in peace unto Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan when he came from Paddan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, or God, the God of Israel. So he here adopts his new name, the name that God had given to him. And in building the altar, he builds it unto the God, not of Jacob, but to the God, the God of Israel. And so he purchased now this field, planning to remain in this area, indicated by the fact that he purchased the field and did remain here for many years. Now, there's a time gap between chapters 33 and 34, because at the time that they had left the land of Padanaram, Dinah was less than six years old. And now she comes into the story at this point and obviously is older than that. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, who was, of course, the first wife that Laban had given to him, the older sister. And after Dinah had borne uh, several sons to Jacob, she finally bore a daughter. And so she had a lot of big brothers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and all. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And so what it was is, of course, being a little girl, or a young girl now, perhaps at this point, maybe in her teens or at least getting close to it. She had girlfriends. Well, where are you going to get girlfriends? She's just started making acquaintances with the girls from the area of Shechem. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, the prince of the country, saw her, he took her and laid with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he loved the damsel, and he spoke kindly to the girl. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamar, saying, Get me this girl as my wife. Now, his action was wrong. 
but he, he seemed to be an honorable person having done it, having wooed her and having had intercourse with her. He now is in love with her and desires that she be his wife and asks that his father make these arrangements for him. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and his sons were with the cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come home. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to commune with him, and the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very angry because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. And Hamer communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. I pray that you would give her to him as a wife. And let us make marriages with each other. Give us your daughters. Notice plural. So Jacob had other daughters that are not named. Give your daughters unto us and take our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade therein. And get your possessions here. And Shechem, the son of Hamar, said unto Jacob and to her brother, that is Dinah's brothers, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me I will give. Ask me whatever you want for a dowry and a gift, and I will give it to you accordingly. And as you shall say unto me, but give me this girl for my wife. And the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, deceitfully and said, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said unto them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one that is uncircumcised, for that's a reproach unto us. But if you'll consent unto this and you'll be as we are, every male of you will be circumcised. Then we'll give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and will become one people. If you will not hearken unto us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. And the young man deferred not to do the thing, because he had delight in Jacob's daughter, and he was more honorable than all the house of his father. And Hamar and Shechem, his son, came unto the gate of their city. They communed with the men of the city, saying, Hey, these people are peaceable. We ought to live with them. The land is large enough for us all. Let's take their daughters. They can have our daughters. We'll have intermarriage. We'll become one people with them. And they'll do this under one condition, that we'll be circumcised as they are circumcised. And then shall not their cattle, their substance, and every beast of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And unto Hamor and Shechem, all of the men of the city gave ear. They hearkened unto them, and they uh, came to pass... Uh, that they were all circumcised. But on the third day, uh, when there was a soreness, the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's brothers, they were the sons of uh, Leah, they each man took his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all of the men. They slew Hamor and Shechem, the son with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain. They spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep, their oxes, their asses, and all that was in the city, all that was in the field, all of their wealth, all of their little ones, their wives, they took captive and spoiled all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me. 
to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they'll gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed. I am my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? So again, we notice that the sons were acting deceitfully. It is interesting how that, again, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Jacob was guilty of deceiving his father in receiving the blessing. He was then deceived by his uncle Laban, and now he sees the deceitful acts of his son. As they make this league with the people, but dealing treacherously and deceitfully with them, uh, and, and moving in and killing them, killing the men, taking the women as slaves and so forth. The, the sons of, of Jacob had done that which was reprehensible. Now, God is really very plain and very open in showing to us that the people that he chose were not a perfect people at all. Now, Simeon and Levi are to come into a judgment for this later on. Years later, in the 49th chapter of Genesis, it's recorded when Jacob was about to die, he gathered his 12 sons around him, around his bed. And he began to prophesy over these sons and tell them, each one, why they didn't receive the birthright, really. We'll get into Reuben's sin a little bit further as we go along. We'll find Judah's sins. We see here the sins of Levi, who was to be the father of the priestly tribe. He was deceitful. He had a horrible temper and anger and when Jacob gathered his sons around him, turning to Simeon and Levi, he said, Cursed be thy anger, for you slew a city and all. And he was still rebuking them years later for this horrible action of theirs. The Bible does not condone what they did, does not declare it is right. In fact, their father later on rebukes them sternly for this thing, and they, are, they, they do not receive the birthright or the blessing because of their cursed anger and temper in which they went in and slew the men of the city. Their deeds are brought up against them even later on. And so we, we find that God is open. He doesn't try to hide the sins of men. He, he doesn't in any wise come off with the idea that he uses just perfect people. If God used only perfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to work with. And so God has to use what he can, and that's us, <laughs> with all of our imperfections. And, and so lest we get the concept in our minds, which we so easily do, that God just uses perfect people, or God will just bless perfect people, God is careful to show us that these people aren't perfect at all, and yet God chose them and God used them. And that's to encourage you because you know that you're not perfect 
and yet God has chosen you and God wants to use you. And so it, 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 it helps me to yield myself to God, to know that I don't have to be perfect. Yes, he wants me to be perfect. I'm not. But he has provided for my imperfections through Jesus Christ. And thus God will use me. And uh, that to me is always an exciting thing. So God doesn't try to gloss over and give you the picture of, you know, just really perfect individuals. Man, these guys were horrible. What they did was horrible. Uh, and yet, God is going to use them to be the father of the nation. And so God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. Now, Jacob is afraid. Hey, the kings are all going to get together. They're going to attack me and wipe me out. And so God is saying to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto God, the God that appeared to thee when you were fleeing from the face of Esau, your brother. So Jacob said to his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean, change your garments. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 32 through 35 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you and keep you in His love and grace watching over you, guiding you, protecting you through this week. May you be enriched in Christ Jesus in all things. And may your understanding of God's love be increased day by day as you begin to fathom the depths, experience the heights of God's love and grace and mercies towards you through Jesus our Lord. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Lately, social media and our newscasters are predicting that worldwide calamity is right around the corner. In fact, so-called experts are saying we don't have much time left on the planet. Can we really believe this? Maybe they're just trying to scare us. Everybody seems to be asking the question, what is the world coming to? But as Christians, we don't need to be anxious because the answer is found in the book of Revelation. 
The Word for Today encourages our radio listeners to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Revelation entitled, What the World is Coming to. Known for his simple teaching of the scriptures, Pastor Chuck's commentary will help every reader understand what God's plan is for the human race. Not only will this book educate you about the future, it's an excellent resource to equip you to give an answer to those who don't recognize God's coming judgment. To order your copy of What the World's Coming to by Chuck Smith in print or in digital format, please call 1-800-272-9673. Or you can order this book online at thewordfortoday.org.